That's one thing I got a lot of. <laughs> I got way more thoughts than money. People think I am banking. <laughs> I'm like, it's more up here. You take these thoughts to the bank. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Go Off Sis podcast. We're still here with y'all bringing that heat. Being Black and successful in today's world comes with a lot of complications, and we are ready to speak on them. We are talking Black excellence and your problematic faves. My name is Danielle Cadet. I am the managing editor of Refinery29, Unbothered. Today, we are going to share our problematic faves. My auntie Nene Leakes is certainly my problematic fave. But here's my <laughs> thing about Nene, is she is the OG there would be no show without her. And Nene truly can do no wrong. In my, I, yes, is she selfish? Yes. Is she rude? Yes. Is she wild? Yes. But like, none of y'all hoes will be here without her. I acknowledge that she's problematic, but shout out to Auntie Nene Leaks. I see you, sis. Now, our sisters who are joining us today, Kathleen Newman-Bramang and Chelsea Sanders. So great to be back with you two. Our conversations are always soul-filling. Chelsea, let's start with you. Hey, guys. I, I drank my haterade today, so I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> I'm Chelsea Sanders, the VP of Communications at Refinery29 and podcast producer. And my problematic fave, anyone who knows me knows the answer, it's Drake. <laughs> I'm a semi-retired Drakeologist, have been since about 2004. Not semi-retired. Yeah, well, you know, we got we to gotta rotate, put some people on the bench, give them a break. Uh, but I just love, honestly, Drake is a goober in his heart. And I am just like here for all the goobers, like goober gang, stand up. Because that's just what I appreciate and I love. So Drake, the end. She's coming for you Canadians, Kathleen. <laughs> so go I ahead and say, rep, rep I, hey, I'm not mad at it because I am Canadian. I'm Kathleen Newman-Bermang, the senior writer at Refinery29 Canada. And I got a lot of Drake stories, Chelsea, if you, if you got some time later. That will happen on the after show. <laughs> right. Um, and my problematic fave is Tyra Banks, mm. the one and only. Mm. Listen, Tyra, you probably saw the memes, the, the <laughs> videos, the clips. We were all rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. And how problematic that even that moment yes. is. Yes. And I love that moment. The thing about Tyra that I will defend is that are y'all not entertained? And even when she's been wrong, she's been wrong. Let me say that I know she's been wrong. She brings me so much joy. Keep being wrong, Tyra. You know, that's the thing about problematic faves is like they're wrong and strong and you kind of love yes. them for. Here's an honorable mention problematic fave that I just thought about. Future is so Ooh. problematic. Like the actual definition me. of it. I know, I know. <laughs> like the definition of an F-boy, but like I, I really, I do. I vibe out to his music. I will never get over the fact that this man says, if she catch me cheating, I will never tell her sorry. Like, why, Future? Why can't you just apologize? <laughs> They are wrong and strong. Mm -hmm. The way that this episode came to be was we were having a conversation about Black excellence. The culture of Black excellence is fragile. And it's a double-edged sword. And there's so much complication that comes with that. We feel this pressure to perform. And we feel this fragility of our excellence because there are so few of us at the top. And we then rely on those of us that are at the top to represent us. We don't always get access to these spaces. The folks who do get access to these spaces have a lot of pressure on them. You never know what's going on, who's doing what, who's wilding out, and who you're going to have to, like, get together. <clears throat> Lana Del Rey, you know. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not going to talk about the Karens today, but we are going to talk about our folks. We're going to talk about the people in our community. And, you know, is there a world where we can both be excellent and imperfect. And that feels really hard. It feels like you are held to a particular standard as a Black person, and you can't really live between both worlds. And then when we feel like people are coming for our excellent people, then we really wall out. Like, it's, it's, it's next level. There's 
something to be said about what happens intra-racially, right? And we're going to play a little game today. Um, we're going to go through a couple of different individuals and we're, and we're going to ask ourselves, are we caping for these people or are we canceling these people? One thing that, uh, you know, made me think about this while we were planning for this season was, you know, something that happened in the beginning of 2020 that was, was really like a gut punch to our community was the untimely loss of, of basketball legend Kobe Bryant and his young daughter, Gianna Bryant. And, and that was horrible because of the horrific nature in, in which it happened. And there was a Washington Post reporter who pointed out the history of his sexual assault case. And there was a lot of anger around that. And there was a lot of frustration with that. Kobe means so much to the culture and is such a huge icon. And it was such a horrific death. But then at the same time, it was also like, there, it, within our culture, there was this weird, just like, vitriol of like, we could not have this conversation about Kobe and sexual assault. We, it was like, there's no room for this right now. And I tweeted something that was like, you can feel heartbroken for Vanessa Bryant and you can acknowledge that Kobe Bryant is a basketball icon and you can also believe victims of sexual violence. All of those things can exist at the same mm. time. Two and things can be true. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. okay for that to be complicated. But I think the, the, the difficulty was that we were not allowing a conversation about Kobe as a holistic human being. And we saw what happened with Gail King when everybody came at Gail. And that really frustrated me. And it made me think, how fragile is, the, is Black legacy? Are we, can we not have mm. this conversation mm -hmm. about Black icons that includes some of their mistakes? Can the Black legacy be multifaceted? Chelsea, I want mm. you to jump in here. It's a conversation of um, major and minority communities, right? Where we, it feels like we're being set up to fail in a mm. lot of ways um, versus intra-community dynamics where it feels like we're just playing ourselves in a way. Because I think that's one of the things around cancel culture that upsets me is that no one wins. And the fact that we're even playing is a losing game. Mm. It's the easiest way to define people. Like you said, we live in a very black and white world, literally. And it's easier <laughs> to label someone as bad or good rather than to identify the motivations or to seek out answers around it. And so Kobe for me was just an icon. And right. I think I'm still trying to unpack the dynamics of that and understand that a complicated legacy still deserves acknowledgement. 100%. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that in a way that's responsible and accountable? Right. right. But I think that's, that's what really gets me, right? Is that we're doing almost exactly what they, big they, want mm. us to do, right? Mm. People in power. Mm. They're, they're giving us this narrative and we're running with it. Right. And we almost do the work for them. So we're not focused on that bigger picture of why we're even having these conversations, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think it's like that, but and who, however, would be more um, accepted and more able to happen if we weren't also always thinking of us and our community and our mm. representation representation in relation to yes. mm -hmm. white people yes. and whiteness, right? right? So we're thinking, you know, if we talk about Kobe's yes. complicated legacy. And he was a, a husband and a, and a father and like this seemingly upstanding citizen. So if that comes toppling down, so does what white people think of black men in general. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because right. he is supposed to be an example of everyone. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, no, you can't have that conversation because then the white people are going to think this about us. And so... I think that the nuance gets lost there because we are trying to hold up these black celebrities as representations of all of us. And really they're just human beings. Mm. Exactly. And then that ends up being an unfair burden, not only on the individual, on the icon, so to speak, but on the community, because yes. then we then can't have the conversation that we need to have, you know, in order to heal, in order to, in order to grow, in order to have mature conversation about sexual assault in the sexual assault period, right? But like sexual assault in the black community, mm. which 
That's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Because again, then there are the gender politics because I can, I can say from experience that as a black woman, I have found myself having to choose or feeling like I'm having to choose between my blackness and my gender. Can I have this sort of double consciousness? You know what I mean? Mm. And so then what ends up happening, and this is what I feel happened with Gail, is we are very quick to attack women in our community. And we're very quick Mm. to disrespect women in our community because of the patriarchal nature of our society. And, And partly because of the patriarchal nature of the Black community in general. We, If we're honest with ourselves, we live in a world where Black men can very easily silence Black women. And Mm -hmm. that to me, it it was ugly to see that. But there was something about Kobe that was just like, people that I love and respect had some problematic takes. And I was, and it made me question like, dang, like, where do we all go from here? You know? It's one of the things that's so crazy about cancel culture is just this idea of whatever side you're on, it represents who you are as a mm-hmm. person. Oh, okay. So you're a blank apologist, like I just said, right? right. You're on this side. Yes. And I think, again, it draws these lines in the sand. And I think a lot of that is because, like you said, Danielle, I, I feel like we are almost always as a community and especially now in survival mode. So there is this constant sense of like, okay, here's what we know we can do well. We're going to put that up top and everything else we're going to sweep under the rug. There is this intense sense of shame um, and neglect and disrespect that we ignore. The reason why that keeps happening is because we're not talking about things like racism or homophobia or sexism or colorism or Mm. all of these things that affect our community in ways that are toxic and in ways that are generational and in ways that ultimately aren't moving us forward, but in setting us back. Yes. And I think we're not ready to be at a place where we can have those conversations because we aren't sure if we can move past it as a mm. community. You're both making incredible points here in that we are so sometimes so focused on the white gaze mm. and showing any type of chink in the armor True. is... Uh-huh you know, detrimental. Yeah. You can't show a chink in the armor because mm-hmm. it could mean your life, you know? Yes, literally. So literally. it is, literally. it's understandable, but it is simultaneously problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cape for Kobe. I think Kobe acknowledged his mistakes while mm-hmm. living. That part. I mm-hmm. do believe that you have to look at the man holistically. But let's shift to folks who are canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so, Okay. Now, we're going to start off with R. Kelly. R. Kelly is canceled. R. Kelly's music is canceled. Done. Done. It's over. It's over. (laughs) You're raising an interesting point here because when we're talking about, you know, the Black community and when we're talking about feeling like Black masculinity is fragile, like Mm. if we're talking about Black excellence being fragile, it might just be Black masculinity. Whoop. Whoop. Say it again. Say it again. (laughs) It might just be Black masculinity. Mm. Um, But I think one of the things that we're talking about with R. Kelly, too, people in our community knowing this was going on for years Mm -hmm. and years and years. And I think no one can deny that they've heard this, whether it is literally in his songs or they've heard it on the streets of Chicago. Yes, Dave Chappelle skit. Exactly. This is happening. And we've known it's happening. And we made jokes about it happening, which is another entirely inconceivable thing. Yes. So I think it's that idea of, again, the shame, but also giving people passes in a Mm. way that we don't otherwise. Mm. Being able to say, oh yeah, he may have done this, but I can still listen to his music, you know? Right. It's Mm. not connected. I can separate the art from the artist. Yeah. And R. Kelly's not someone that I think we should be or can be doing that with. No. And you mentioned this, Chelsea, is like, you know, we do, we have to ask ourselves, who do we protect? Mm -hmm. And for a long time, we did protect R. Kelly. I think we often have this conversation about like what the white community is doing to us as a black community and tearing us down and how they're trying to get us. With R. Kelly, this was in our community. These were young black girls being taken advantage of. These were low income black families that were being abused and used and and it was and it is a thing that he knew he was aware mm-hmm. that if he targeted black girls 
and low-income Black families that people wouldn't care. He had to do it with a disenfranchised, powerless community. And that's what I think hurts so badly to the court. When we finally got to a point where we were acknowledging it, it was proof that we looked the other way because these were Black girls, not Mm -hmm. for any other reason. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. Everything there is is true and the hard truth that I think we had to face. But it's also why I can't separate the art from the yes. artist with R. Yes. Kelly. Like I cannot listen to an R. Kelly song anymore because he used his music yes. to mm. lure those black girls in to exactly. be a predator. It was, there was no separation for him. And mm-hmm. the lyrics are a reflection of the behavior. Now on the flip side, you know, another person who is canceled is Bill Cosby. This was different from the R. Kelly thing because there was an element here of race relations, right? Mm-hmm. And so many of Cosby's victims were white women. And of mm. course there was the whole conspiracy theory that, he was getting too powerful and that the white community wanted to tear him down and all of that, right? Because the thing about Cosby is, and this goes to your point, Chelsea, of like separating the artist from the man, was that Cosby held himself up on the highest pedestal of respectability politics in all the land, okay? This man gave us a different world and told us that we needed to go to black colleges and that we needed to marry black partners. And the Huxtable family was the black family. Shout out to all the black kids whose white friends told them that their family was like the Huxtables because I know it happened to me. Did it happen to y'all? It happened to me. My dad's a doctor. So (laughs) it happened to us. All the time. For a very long time, I loved The Cosby Show because I saw myself in it. I saw a reflection of my family in it. And I identified with it. And so, like, Cosby oftentimes shook his finger at the Black community, okay? Mm. And this is what was so interesting to me about The Cosby thing is we were caping. There Mm. were people caping for Cosby when Cosby was not caping for the culture, okay? And there's obviously an element there of of race relations, right? Because so many people were saying, well, these women are white and why are we believing these white women? And as a, as a black woman, and this is, again, you, you could take this back to, to Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. This isn't new. Mm-hmm. We as black women have had to exist in this junction between our gender and our race for a very long time. And, and the Cosby thing was just like, there were so many black men out here like, y'all don't see they trying to tear a black man down, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, dog, but this black man ain't caping for you the way you caping for him. That's also something that when you're talking about like being a woman and being black and having to choose, I've found that, to be honest, whenever I choose the woman box, the woman box doesn't choose me back. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Chelsea. And that to me, is one of the main reasons why I choose the black box most that of the time. Wow. Man, oh my wow. gosh. Wow. You just articulated that perfectly. And I think it, it's something that I think everyone here listening will be like, yep. And we can think of a lot of examples. Amen. Some of them are in the White House. Amen. And <laughs> we're just going to leave it Amen. there. Yes. Amen. And I think that's also one of the reasons why in a lot of ways, we create these double personas and we have this double consciousness, right? Because vulnerability is almost a weapon that they use it against us, right? Mm -hmm. To say, oh, look, we knew it. You know, Mm. we knew that you were like this. We Mm. knew that Mm. you were X, Y, and Z. And I think that's one of the things that I really wrestle with, with people like a Cosby, like Mm. who are just these figures and have these legacies and have these moments that I, I understand in my logical brain Mm. are not okay, never okay, and should never ever be apologized for. Mm. I still think I mourn that loss in a way that almost hurts more. Yes. Mm. Ooh, you yeah. just dropped bars. <laughs> I am, I, I am, I mean, that's real. It is the unique struggle that we have as black people. And it is the uniquer sh- challenge that we have as black women. Speaking of the complicated nature of our heroes, right? And our icons. Here is a, an icon I personally struggle with. 
when it comes to caping or canceling? Michael Jackson. Leap out his name. (laughs) (laughs) This is a hard one. This is a hard one for me. I do. I I will admit I struggle with Michael Jackson so much. I grew up on Michael Jackson's music. Mm -hmm. I cried when he died. I felt like I lost a friend. And I will admit I have not watched documentaries. I avoid the Michael conversation like the plague. Mm Mm-hmm. And I will low-key fight somebody that comes at me about Michael. Like, I, I am. Are we fighting? I, we, might yeah, are we, fight? we might have to fight, girl. We might have to fight. <laughs> I will play referee. <laughs> well, okay. I think it does start with the hero conversation. Like, yes. you describing your childhood and Michael Jackson, I have very similar connections to Michael Jackson because of his music and and my childhood. There are moments of my childhood that if I go back to those memories, the soundtrack Mm. is Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. Growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood, going to predominantly white schools in Canada. Like all my black heroes in pop culture were the people I had to look to. Yes. And you know, you can't deny the strides Michael Jackson made for black people in music. So saying all that, I understand, but I watched Finding Neverland, the documentary. I believe his victims and I no longer listen to Michael Jackson. I no longer cape for Michael Jackson. Mm, mm. And that hurts. It hurts in a way that I don't think anyone understands, but people in the black community who also believe Michael Jackson's victims. Yeah, I mean, I think there's grief that comes with that. I think there's serious mm-hmm. grief that comes with that. And I'm, I have said this publicly before, which is the only reason why I'll say it now, is I think one of the things I struggle with is I identify more with Michael than I do with his victims. I, mm-hmm. I see myself more in Michael than I do in his victims. And I'm, I'm positive that there's a racial component to that. And mm-hmm. that, I am not saying that to say that it is right. I'm just saying that to say that it is a fact. And that is my truth, is that I identify more with Michael than I do with his victims. And, and again, to R. Kelly, I identify with his victims. I have mm. been a young Black woman mm. in my lifetime. I'm going to ask Chelsea, our referee, to, to jump <laughs> in here. I think that's a, um, a good point, right? To acknowledge that, again, I'm also a huge Michael Jackson fan. My entire family is. They went to the funeral. Mm. My sister had a Michael Jackson imperson- impersonator at her third birthday and she cried. <laughs> <laughs> she, <laughs> she was scared, but we didn't think that through. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I think for me, and the, one of the reasons that what you're saying, Danielle, is resonating is because we know how hard it was for my yes mm. and again i'm not trying to excuse any behavior and i want to be really careful with what how i say this and i think that's one of the things that we have to acknowledge in this grief is that ooh a lot of this is other hurt people hurting people, yes, yes. right? Mm. And it goes back to our earlier conversation about the conversations that we don't want to have mm. about assault and about abuse and about the legacy and generational trauma that we pass down that we then give others a pass yes. to pass down. Yes. Mm. And I think that's what Michael Jackson is an example of. And that's why this situation makes me so sad. Yes, yes. And I think like that's what it is. And this idea that like, he was set up to fail. Yes. He was. Absolutely. Yes. He was yes. set up to fail yes. by society and he did. Yes. Mm. yes. That's exactly what we wanted. Yes, for sure. Because this is how we excused it for years, right? Was that, oh, he was just trying to exactly. recapture his childhood. Right. He's in his, in his heart. He's a five-year-old yes. or a seven-year-old. So that's how we were justifying a grown man hanging out with little kids. So, so I understand and I do want to acknowledge that there is trauma there. But at the same time, going back to the R. Kelly point I made earlier, he used his power to do this. And so I feel guilt that I ignored it for so long and that there were all those signs there and I was still listening to his music and I was still like a Michael Jackson stan, even though it was kind of right there in front of us. Right. So that's why I personally feel, feel guilty. But it's not like, I think that I judge people who still cape for R. Kelly. 
I judge folks like if like the way I judge people who are still going out right now during the Rona, that's how I judge mm. people who are still listening to our show. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's how I judge you. <laughs> I do. And I do. And I think with with Michael, I understand that there's a little bit more of a journey yes, there, maybe. And I, I personally agree. am on that journey. And I, I do want to say that I think this is important to acknowledge. And I think I can speak for all of us when I say that believing survivors is extremely important. And yes, that is what is yes. at the root of this. Yes. No matter what our personal feelings are about artists or icons or whatever, mm-hmm. it is imperative that we, as a community, as a society, push ourselves to a place where we believe survivors. First. Mm-hmm. First, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, one last person we need to talk about, Kanye Tuda. Okay. Ah. Kanye <laughs> West. Uh, and I have right, to... Fine. Chelsea, I know you have lots of feelings about that. Yes. Kanye is a complicated character. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Look, you kept it PG. (laughs) Kanye is a complicated character. I'm confused as to whether or not Kanye is canceled in the culture. Sometimes black folks are not messing with Kanye. Sometimes black folks are out here buying Yeezys. I don't know what's going on. But Chelsea, Mm -hmm. tell us how you feel about Kanye. Here's the thing, okay? I appreciate that Kanye is in his own Kanye world, okay? It's Kanye Westopia. I understand that. But I think one of the, the things that I really, and I, I want I to just be clear about this, I understand what Kanye is saying. Mm. And I think his problem is in his delivery, mm. okay? Okay. When you think about the way that he approaches things is with a completely manic perspective and I want to respect that I don't know what is going on in his head and I want to respect also his wellness journey whatever that may be yes. and all of ours yes. in this yes but from what I've seen the way that he displays himself when he's talking you know George Bush doesn't care about black people or talking about slavery being a choice on TMZ he's not wrong okay He's not wrong. That idea of mental slavery, that we've been singing that. Bob Marley's been singing that. We understand that he's saying that we need to free ourselves from this mentality of slavery, right? This idea that we are on the bottom and we deserve to be at the bottom and that's just where we're going to be forever. I understand that. But I also think to play devil's advocate and- As my grandma says, the devil don't need no advocate. True. I want to just raise the point of maybe we're expecting too much from Kanye, right? What is the responsibility of an artist in this time? And why are we looking to celebrities like they're political scientists? Kathleen, I feel like we might be on the same wavelength because I'm going to push back on that (laughs) in that. And this is why Kanye is canceled to me, not because of any of his tomfoolery and shenanigans, because I think he likes the attention. He's a Gemini. I get it. Mm -hmm. Male Geminis are wild Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i think the and to to that end kanye came on the scene speaking out about social justice and about race relations and about racial issues and the reason why i've canceled kanye is because his priorities have shifted black people don't seem to matter to him the way they once did kanye Mm. is a descendant of educators and activists which he came on the scene telling us about from when he started his career. His mother was an educator. His, his grandparents were activists. And even the fact that he can say, like, he'll leave your ass for a white girl, right? And now he can be married to a woman who so blatantly disrespects Black mm-hmm. women on the regular. Mm-hmm. It, that is why Kanye is canceled to me. Mm-hmm. And I agree yes. with you. We have a really strange habit of... of holding of wanting these like political opinions from celebrities that quite frankly they don't have and they shouldn't have but Mm -hmm. when you come out on the scene the way Kanye did Mm -hmm. I think it's especially a slap in the face when you now turn around and it seems like none of those things matter it's also frustrating when you have a platform and you have access to white people and you have proximity to whiteness and you are representing us in a way that again is dangerous and that is my issue with Kanye. Yes, absolutely. All true, all true. He did. He came out with those conversations when Donda was still alive. Right. I believe he was way more educated than he is now. Agreed. And Agreed. he was able yes. to start those conversations. And so we do expect a little bit more from Kanye because he was mm-hmm. the one talking about blood diamonds. He was the yes. one 
talking about mm-hmm. our ancestors and slavery yes. and all of that before anyone was asking him. And it's one of yes. the reasons we fell mm-hmm. in love with him. So Amen. for him to mm-hmm. now be a completely different person. I'm okay with canceling Kanye in my mind because that is not the Kanye. That's not the old Kanye. And I don't think he understands that. And he's right. so wrong and true, strong true. in it. He wrong doesn't strong. own up to that. Mm-hmm. It just makes me so angry because I used to be a Kanye apologist. Now, when he is using his platform to now be able to like have, when you're having conversations with white people and they can use Kanye West as an example of, oh, but Kanye's a Trump supporter. Right. That's so dangerous. That's that dangerous. pisses me off. That pisses me off. It is. And I, I think that's really fair. And all of these things are true. The only reason I went mm, <laughs> is because, yes, he came out the gate swinging. However, we put so much on Black artists. Yeah, true. And it's this that idea of being wanting to be an artist or wanting to be a Black artist yes. with a capital B. Mm. Yes. I don't necessarily agree with you know him wanting to be just an artist yes but I do understand the pressure and the anxiety and the undue responsibility that is put on black artists agreed yes and I think when you talk about Danielle being an activist and coming from a line of activists we feel like he's that black artist but we also know that he has said I don't want to be called a black artist with a capital B I just want to be an artist Mm. I think it raises the question of what do these artists owe to us I mean, I think that's a very fair point. And I think Kanye is not the first person to do that, right? Like lots of artists, poets, writers have done that. I personally, I can't say that I identify with that. My entire career has been working in black media. So I am a black journalist and I do feel like I have a responsibility as a black journalist, as a black woman journalist. I don't personally think that I have the privilege of sort of walking through this world without being who I truly am. I'm very vocal about the fact that I'm speaking as a black woman um, and that that is part of my job. So I don't personally identify with the idea that you can separate yourself and who you show up as who you show up in the world as from your work. Um, mm. you know, but I do understand the desire because white people don't have to deal with that, right? Like white right. people don't have this burden of having to be a white artist. And so white people are not moving through this world identifying themselves as, you know, I am the white version of this. And so I understand that that is really frustrating because there's a burden that we have as black people that white people just don't have. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, Danielle. And I I have not had the the fortune to work for black publications or, um, you know, black networks my whole career, I have usually been one of the few. And so that usually gets put on me, Mm. but I, I welcome it gladly, but there is some sort of like envy that comes with looking at your colleagues Mm. and looking at their ability to just do their jobs without having to talk about race, Mm. without having to lead with some of the hard things that come with all of that. And I think that that's where Kanye is coming from. I don't think he ever articulates it properly. I don't think he he could even have this conversation where he recognizes that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But I, I get it because I, I feel like I, I identify with the urge to be like, I am not just that one thing. But that one thing informs so much of your life. Right. And I'm, I'm proud of it. Right. I think the thing that I struggle with is this idea of separating my identity from my blackness. My blackness is my identity. Mm, And to your point, Kathleen, I think all of us have said this, is that there's so much pride that comes with that, you know? Yes. I think Mm, it's difficult for us as black people because we've been been told for so long not to be proud of our identity. And so it's frustrating when you Mm, see mm. an artist that wants to separate him or herself from that identity. But Chelsea, you you touched on something that I think is really important is the onus we put on celebrities to have a perspective and educated opinion on politics, on, you know, social justice, on things that are going on in the world. When 90% of the time, like they just don't have the educational background for this. Like, yes, not for nothing. I don't Mm -hmm. know if people know this, but like David Banner has his PhD. (laughs) never <laughs> asked David Banner to okay. tell us nothing. <laughs> Maybe we should. But mm. we are. Mm-hmm. We're expecting athletes and celebrities to have opinions, educated opinions 
on things that quite a, a lot of times they know nothing about, but because nothing, they're yeah. in this place of privilege, we have that expectation of them. So it's like that Dave Chappelle sketch where he's like, okay, where is Ja? Where is Ja? <laughs> I got some questions ja? ja cannot answer right now. Ja. Literally, why are we putting these celebrities on a pedestal? That's really my issue. And I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think for me, it's more like, why are we even looking to these characters for good judgment when we yes. know that that's not their forte and that's fine. But I think just going back to your earlier point about what we owe to our community too, the burden is just always on the oppressed to mm. explain their position. Mm. And that's where I just get upset. And I think there mm-hmm. is that envy, Kathleen. There is yes. that like, you don't have, you don't have to do this. So why do, do I, mm-hmm. right? If I'm trying to be able to share an experience and let it move through different communities, I have to explain it before Mm. I do. I have Mm. to give that context. And Mm. I think knowing how nuanced that is and how complicated this conversation is, Mm. I just don't think that these celebs have the range. I just don't. No, I think you're right. You know, I do think that that onus comes from a place of, you know, you now have the platform, you have the privilege. With great power comes great responsibility. And you have access now that the rest of us don't have. So use Mm. your power for good. Mm. That brings me to my personal favorite segment. I know you guys have heard me say this again and again all season. Don't at me. If you do not know what don't at me is, sis, get with the program. This segment is meant to tie a bow on our discussion and to ultimately come to a decision and establish a conclusion. The catch is y'all can't at us. And I know you want to, particularly this episode. So, <laughs> but I don't care because like I said, my problematic fave is Nene Leakes and I said <laughs> what I said. <laughs> so whatever y'all have to say to me, I don't care. But I am going to do today's don't at me. Oftentimes, we think cancel culture is the antidote. The reality is it's the symptom. As Black people, We've been taught that we have to work twice as hard in order to get access to half as much. So when we see an example of something we consider to be Black excellence, it's not just about making our community proud. It's about proving to those who have underestimated us for so long, namely white people, wrong. But when will we separate Black excellence from the white gaze? And when will we put down the burden of Black excellence and leave room for Black humanity? We need to create space where we can critique ourselves, where we can explore the misogyny, the sexism, the homophobia that exists in our own community, and not because white people are watching, because we are. Of course, the proverbial they would rather us fight with each other than focus on racism and white supremacy as the true enemy. But can we really tear down that institution without taking care of our home first? There is no doubt Folks should get called out and held accountable. But how we move forward says more about us than how we respond. We have to ask ourselves, are we actually caping for our culture or are we canceling it? Don't at me. Season two of the Go Off This podcast was made possible by Target, your summertime style destination. Sunkissed skin, bold fashion, undeniable confidence, summer is still happening. And this season, Target makes it easy for you to celebrate your melanin, soak up some sun, and bring your best summer style to life, whether you're on your balcony or in your backyard. Their inclusive range of summer wardrobe essentials are here to glow you up no matter what. Head over to Target.com or the Target app to check out all the new looks, because wherever you are, you know we're keeping that same summer energy. We have already had a hell of a conversation, and I hope y'all keep your seatbelts on because it's about to get real bumpy. Our guest today, I cannot explain how excited I am for the conversation that we are about to have with the one, the only, Amanda Seals. Thank you so much for Am being here. Am I the here. one, the only? The one, the only, ma'am. Especially yes. for the conversation we about to have. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
are having a conversation about cancel culture, who we cape for, who we protect. We know that you have thoughts, sis. That's one thing I got a lot of. I got <laughs> way more thoughts than money. People think I am janking. I'm like, it's more up here. We take these thoughts to the bank. <laughs> and you're someone who's been in the industry for a long time. And you found yourself on both sides of this. Um, so what are your thoughts about cancel culture? I mean, I think cancel culture is just a symptom of the fickleness of humans, right? And the truth of the matter is that so much of our interactions now are not based from a professional space, but a personal space. Mm. So for a long mm-hmm. time, we had journalists, you know, and, the, and, and media. And for what it's worth, it was very much about the ethics of unbiased. Well, now, you know, we have a media landscape that is run by opinion and that is run by personal opinion and that is run by money Mm. in a whole different way. And the reality is that we have so much coming at us all the time that in the matter of a day, you can go through such a myriad of feelings. And we also have more access to the people that we are talking about and their personalities. So people aren't responding to your art. They're not responding to your work. They're not responding to your policy. They're responding to, you know, whether they get a vibe from you or not. Hmm. Mm. Mm. And when we have a digital connection and it's not an analog connection, I don't know how you can even really truly feel my vibe. Mm. 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 That's so true. But it's also, Amanda, you are... um, more in a position to receive all of that because of your success. And we're talking about black excellence. We're talking about, you know, labels that white and black communities put on us when it comes to success. You know, it's, we were talking earlier about how, you know, white people will call successful black people, the Huxtables. I got that growing up. I knew you were, I knew it, Kathleen. Your name is Kathleen. I knew it. I knew it. And I kept it to myself, but I knew it. I was like, she comes from a very sophisticated black family. Kathleen. I was like, they have China in a cabinet. I know they do. They probably have a piano in the house. You're not wrong. But getting back to the labels, then you get called once you get successful, you get called, you know, you're a sellout. You're a sellout. You're uppity you know, then you're being called aggressive, like all these other things. So can you talk about your experience with with that, those labels that come with success? I mean, I don't even know if it's success. It's more so just visibility. Those labels are, they're very hurtful in in a lot of cases, especially when like you're somebody who's ardently, actively and earnestly working against those labels for others, you know? So... I mean, for me, it's been a wild ride. I, I've always been an outspoken person. So whether I was, you know, 12 or 38, you know, there was always people who agreed, disagreed, or didn't care. Mm. You know, I'm not as person impervious to insults. I'm not a sociopath. I'm not a narcissist. Like, so I have feelings and I care about other people's feelings. Sometimes it hits me, but there are a lot of times where I'm just like, Man, f- y'all. <laughs> but... It's like some days I have that and some days I don't. And I think some people are also in different places in their lives because I think security, security of self is really the key to giving less fucks. And you can have all the confidence in the world, but there's still going to be like stuff that triggers you because you went through childhood trauma and everybody has had some version. Mm. It might be small and greater for others. So I'm at a point in my life where I'm really working on clearing out those cobwebs mm. so that I can have more fortitude and so I can be less bothered by things that some people might say shouldn't bother me. Like I have a quote that I, that I say, which is if you're not careful, you let the people who know you the least convince you that you don't know yourself. Mm. Wow. Ooh, I'm going to have wow. to rewind that part. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in this internet age, that's rampant. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got people saying, I hate black men. I've got people, you know, like I get canceled for shit. I've never done or said every day. Mm. every day. I mean, I get canceled for having just like really sound grieving comprehension. <laughs> that's, that's real. How do you deal with those though? How do you determine what you give air to and what you say, never mind, like they can go on the head with their poor reading comprehension? I mean, I guess I do have certain systems in place. It also just depends on my mood. Mm. Some days I'm just more giving, you mm. know? Some <laughs> days God is speaking through me and I've got that for them. And then other days I'm just like blocked, right? Mm. Right. And then other days I'm just like, you know what? 
I've got time today. And I think the biggest thing that, and the reason I was applauding is because I really appreciate you saying that. It just feels like it's such an abstract concept for a lot of people that like, if someone's saying something crazy to me, that I would say something back. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end, at at the end of the day, it's really because they think because I'm a celebrity Mm -hmm. that it's really untoward for me Mm. to respond and it's beneath me because they've put me on a pedestal. I have Mm. never put myself on that pedestal. Like uh, the the pedestal that I have put myself on has nothing to do with celebrity and everything to do with simply just hard work. Because the truth of the matter is a lot of folks feel like they can just say what they want and not get checked. And particularly like white women in the reels comments, Mm -hmm. you know, they just feel like they can just say whatever they want. And they're like, you know, we watch the show. So you basically like, you have to let us say what we want because we are paying your paycheck. Mm. No, ma'am. Mm. You know, a lot of it sometimes is literally just me being on my personal revolution to not let people get away with talking crazy. And uh, I just be on my own parade, like, no more trolling. <laughs> I'm not going to let y'all just talk about me crazy, but I'm not going to be here trying to reach the fools, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um because if I'm trying to reach the fools, I'm reaching down. I'm reaching backwards. The problem is that we have extremes and a lot of people live in the middle. There's mm-hmm. the people who hate and the people who love. But most people live in the middle and they kind of vastly in that space. And, you know, those are the folks that, for what it's worth, end up being the decider about a lot of things. And so mm. you just got to keep on being you. And if they're going to gravitate, then they're going to gravitate. And if they're not, they're not. But, like, you can't speak to the ones all the way on the end because they've already decided that they don't care about you. They don't want to mm. understand you. And they, for what it's worth, have made a decision about their own selves that has got nothing to do with you. Mm. Mm. One of the things that... I mean, that is so refreshing that you bring to the real is the truth always. Everything you just said, you decided that you're just going to tell it like it is. But you're also on an HBO show. You also have, you know, your own brand that you have to uphold. You've got your hand in all these different things. And so I want you to talk about balancing like your career and your own personal beliefs and how you decide what to share where. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I really made it easy for myself early on. You know, I just, I had this epiphany when I went to see 12 Years a Slave and I just realized like, oh, I'm not going to try crossing over anymore. I'm just going to break through and I'm going to do that being as black as I want to be. And if I can't do that, then I don't want it. So Mm. that's just been my barometer for everything I do. If, if I can't be my full self, I just am not interested in it. Mm. And that when I made that thesis statement for myself, it's really just been a point of um, a point of entry for anything. Like, can I be my authentic self, which is going to include being unapologetically black, mm. uh, being unapologetically a womanist, and being funny. Mm. And if I can't do those three things, then I'm just like, ah, you know, I'm not really interested. In terms of the sharing, I'm reaching a point in my life where I'm just realizing how how much I have within me. You know, I think a lot of us, we get shamed into thinking that like, no, you, you cannot be an island. And that is about the, me- that is about the balance for me of making sure that I'm continuing to align with folks that are doing dope stuff, mm-hmm. but also that I am cultivating my own stuff at the same time. And I've had to learn that lesson the hard way, but it's, um, I, for anyone listening, like, I just want to encourage you, like, To not be afraid to be the captain of your own ship, Mm. Mm. especially the women, because I think that we see men like Tyler Perry, you know, we see um, people like LeBron James, Mm. Nick Cannon, they're the captains of their own ships, right? They're captains of industry, like Puff Daddy, like they're like, I'm gonna do this now, I'm gonna do this now, Mm. I'm gonna do this now, I'm gonna do, nobody is looking at them like, but you need to be on a team. Why you need to have a, you need to know, like, you can't do that by yourself. Like you can't be at the helm. No, you need to be a part. No one is telling them that. Right. I feel like women, a lot of times are definitely made to feel like, no, like you, like you gotta be more humble about it. Mm. Like you can't just forge ahead and carve your own course. Like Mm. you gotta be, it has to be different. And it's like, yes, you can be a part of a team, but you can also be the leader of that team. Right. Mm. I hope y'all are taking notes for real. I want to talk about Insecure too. Um, Particularly in this season, your character Tiffany 
Um, I'm very intrigued with what is happening with the character right now. I feel like we're having or we're dipping our toe into this conversation about postpartum depression, particularly for black women, which is just not something we see in pop culture very often and not something we talk about. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, Tiffany's experience this season? And you have said in the, in the past that you don't necessarily identify with her because she seems just kind of, you know, bougie and, you know, just she, you don't necessarily identify with her. But has that changed for you? Yeah, that was season one when they were just like, she's a stank light skin chick. And I'm like, here we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. Um, we all know that one. <laughs> but as we have grown as a show, you know, she's grown in character and her, her layers have come out and we've yes. gotten to see her be a good friend. Yes. You know, and I think that we've mm-hmm. also gotten to see just the development of her unique storyline as a wife and as a mother and as somebody who has just different goals than her friends and just the ways in which that has changed, how she interacts with them, how she interacts with herself, her husband, et cetera. So, I mean, at the end of the day, she's just a truth teller and I'm a truth teller. So mm-hmm. people, you know, may have not liked her in the beginning. And, and funny enough, I was caught up in that. But then when I go back and watch, I'm like, she was actually the only one telling the truth this whole time. <laughs> well, if people didn't like Molly season one, they, or they didn't like Tiffany, mm-hmm. now all that energy is going to Molly. All that energy is going to Molly. It's definitely been a development. <laughs> so, but as far as Tiffany and the pregnancy, you know, I think we're just getting to see, I think the best part of, of what they're doing is also just getting to show how like this person who was so together and who everyone looked to yes. for like everything being together mm-hmm. and who also for what it's worth had a fairly easy pregnancy, right? Like yeah. she was always mm. like, oh, yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, is, 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 is having a difficult time connecting with her child and a lot of black mothers mm. go through this but are not allowed to speak to that, yes. you know, for of course reasons that we all know about racism, about stigmas, about just... Um, you know, the, the inequities of healthcare, et cetera. So mm. I'm, and we've mentioned that, like we, there's a, there was a quick little scene where we talk about like Tiffany's matern like her maternity experience and how mm-hmm. like she was being ignored and Eric, mm-hmm. Derek had to like save her. But yeah, I think I'm really enjoying the, the effort this season. And now we have two extra episodes. So they're able to just kind of do a little bit more, but the effort this season to really uh, make Tiffany's pregnancy and mothering experience nuance. Mm-hmm. It's not a cautionary tale. It's more of an educational tale yeah. versus an cautionary yeah. tale. And I think it serves to just, people will feel seen by that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think exactly. I think it means a lot. Like, you know, I can't necessarily relate to being a parent, but I can certainly relate to having it all together <laughs> and having this abject fear that anyone's ever going to see me drop the ball. You know, I'll not enjoy something I should be enjoying or not. You know what I mean? Oh, well, that's me in Hollywood. Amen. <laughs> Mm. I'm supposed to be enjoying Hollywood. I'm mm. supposed to be just like, just ignore everybody and just live your life. And I'm like, Bleh. Um. <laughs> well, it's interesting. we were just talking about, you know, putting celebrities on this pedestal and the danger in that, especially because, you know, they may or may not be qualified experts, but you have a master's degree in African-American studies from Columbia. Mm-hmm. You are an expert on a lot of things and we love, we love an educated opinion and you've got educated opinions. So what do you think is important right now for our community to be, to be talking about, especially as we move through this crisis? Well, I know everybody's talking about this election, you know, and as we should. Um, I just wish we were talking about it with, with more of a greater sense of, of, of nuance. You know, the, it becomes very basic, like vote for Biden or vote for Trump. And it's just like the conversation ends up there every four years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we end up back here every four years mm-hmm. because we are reactionary. We are not strategic mm-hmm. as a community. And so there's a constant lack of conversation around what that actually looks like. What I do want people though, what I do wish we were doing was conceptualizing how we hold this person accountable who feels like our votes are just in their palm Mm -hmm. every time. So I wish we were having more nuanced conversations around what strategy means. But the reason why I feel like we can't, you know, I feel like we are unable to have these real conversations because we don't have a shared value system, something that we value more than ourselves. So for, for a lot of, for other cultures, like they may have a, 
they may have traditions that they preserve. They may have a spiritual base that they preserve. They may have money, you know, that that might be their focus. But I feel, I philosophize that until black folks as a community come to an understanding of something that exists above us, and it is not to say that it makes us monolithic. It's like a lighthouse, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a beacon of light that we all come together on. Then we can't really have the conversation. So I know I'm throwing a lot out there right now because of course I'm continuing to philosophize about these things, but I wish we were having conversations that philosophized about these things Mm. because Mm. everyone's coming from their blackness from a different perspective. You know, Mm. like I always say like, there's no black experience that isn't a black experience unless it's Mm. Mm. anti-black. I mean, it's hard to have those, to philosophize and have those nuanced conversations on, on Twitter and on social media. Right. Which is why I am launching SFB Society. So SFB Society launched on June 1st. We are very excited. It's an online membership-only community that brings Black folks together and allies can come along too, just know your place, to be their whole selves and, and form community around vibes, jokes, and facts. And, you know, it just, it just became painfully apparent that we need a safe space to have these elevated conversations, and I created it. Because everybody is on the same page of the importance of having those conversations and thus preserving the space in order to do so. Mm. Allies are welcome. They just need to know their place. Mm. Bloop. (laughs) (laughs) But most allies know their place. So that's why, you know, that's what makes you an ally. true ally. I'm here. I'm here to help. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, we're going to play a little game. So we're going to name some names and you are going to tell us if these folks are, if you're caping for these folks or if you've canceled these folks. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Safe space. Lana Del Rey. I don't, you know, I don't know enough to cape or cancel this person. Like she wrote a piece. She wrote, mm-hmm. a, she wrote a post. It was tone deaf, but in a very typically white girl way. And it, he wrote it just like her music sounds. So it doesn't even. Yes. <laughs> Fair. I that is that's probably the best perspective I've heard about this the whole time. Yes. Okay. Boozy. You know I never want to cancel a black man, um, mm. but uh, Boozy. The reason why Boozy is such a struggle for me is because he is he is not unique. Mm. He is not unique. And if you cancel Boozy, you cancel. Oh man. So many brothers. Mm. What what needs to get canceled is the upholding of trauma as a milestone. (sighs) Like the idea of manhood in society is actually toxic in its existence, Mm -hmm. you know? So Mm -hmm. the upholding of that is literally, it is the conundrum of why trauma continues. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then you'll have guys will say like, there's still good men out here. And it's like, there are good men only because they have decided to be. Mm. And th- there's no factory that's like making good men. There's no model of good men. You know, like when people say like, oh, like you're single because I'm like, I, trust me, I'm not driving by the good men farm. Like <laughs> I don't need them. <laughs> Where are the directions to this? Like, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I'm not driving by. Exist. Like, let me find me a hustle. It's not on <laughs> Google like, Maps because it doesn't exist. <laughs> so it's very like disconcerting to me when we talk about like Boosie because I can't talk about him as an individual mm. because he is one person. But the reason he's been able to flourish as he has, I believe, because there's so many people that relate to what he's been through Amen. and that are just it's just a trauma factory. Like pop, uh, like a trauma ping pong game. Amen. Like we're just bouncing our traumas back on each other. Like you good? No, you good. Mm-hmm. No, you good. No, you mm. good. No, you good. <laughs> no, you good. <laughs> because even the burden, the, the only way I feel like that ends up getting shifted is if the black men who have been able to find healing and who have been able to muster up the strength to like really go inward and face that stuff. You know, if they, the only way is for them to then be a voice and be the me too for their brothers. But then even that is like, damn. I mean, it's just a lot to ask, mm, but it's, yeah. it seems like the only way. And if I can find another way, I, I will let y'all know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I love that there's, there's such a nuanced aspect of this whole conversation, which is honestly, mm-hmm. this is the best part. Um, all right. Next name, Justin Timberlake. You know. <laughs> 
you know, this is the thing. Like, I'm adverse to canceling anybody. Like, because, mm-hmm. you know, someone said to me the other, someone said yesterday on the Lana Del Rey post, like, you're canceled. And I'm like, what do you think happens when you say that? <laughs> <laughs> do you think someone shows up to my house and repose everything? Like, <laughs> do you think I just poof, like, vanish into thin air? Like, <laughs> like, that's the other part is being able to understand, like, you can cancel somebody, but also, like, who cares about what you think? Mm. Mm. Fair. Mm-hmm. Great point. Like, do you think Justin Timberlake gives a flying <laughs> if I don't think he's taking seriously? <laughs> he's over there like, do mamacita. <laughs> like, you don't care. <laughs> but you can, and you can also, like you said, you can hold someone accountable, which like, you know, you talked about allyship and Justin Timberlake and not cancel them. Right. But that's to me what we need to be doing. Yes. And when it comes to black folks, I've really tried to make a practice of calling folks in instead of calling them out. Mm. um, So that's really like when it comes to black people that I consider to be black people, I make a point of calling them in instead of calling them out. Yeah. So do you think there is room for that in 2020? No. What does it mean to give an apology? Does that even matter? I mean, what is giving an apology to people who don't care, you know? So, and like, if you make a mistake or you make an error, people feel like you owe them an apology for them to like you again or for them Mm. to respect you again, you know? But a lot of times it feels more so that they want you to apologize so that they can feel like they've got you, Mm. you know, or like they, they, they knocked you down a peg. And it's like, that's that, why are we always trying to knock our people down a peg? Mm. For instance, like people be hating me. But I keep showing up in your space. So you should, that should tell you something. Like this broad keeps showing up here, not by coincidence, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said that I've been, on, I've been on TV since 1994. Say it. Like, do you really think <laughs> that I'm that easily perishable? Mm. I'm a Twinkie like that. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm on the <laughs> shelf. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that People want you to apologize for errors you didn't make mm-hmm. just to appease them and win their favor. And I'm like, I don't need the favor of individuals who want to assign things to me that I have not done based on their lack of desire to research or just simply create narratives that support their own ego. Mm-hmm. People have been asking me to apologize for lying on some man. And I'm like, I have never lied on a man ever. Mm. At any time, I have never lied about someone sexually harassing me, ever. I've only publicly said one person sexually harassed me. I said, Russell Simmons said to me in a meeting, have we ever That's what I said. Mm. Mm. And I said, Mm. "Uh, no. And he said, oh, because I would remember, right? That is the only time I have ever said that somebody so... Outside of that, and I've said that on the record, mm. Mm. and then being, and then I get accused of admitting that I lied. <laughs> I'm like, I, I've never done any of these things. Where's the footage? Show me the tape. <laughs> so my thing is like, it becomes weird in this public eye space where people want you to apologize for things that you never did, but that they're convinced you did because someone lied about you, mm-hmm. and. That becomes, a, that becomes a conundrum that you can't get out of, you know? Mm. So you, you, you got to just let that live in a lot of ways. And it just becomes very frustrating because if you're somebody that actually cares about the work that you're doing, you know that that type of misinformation undermines the validity of your message. Right. Mm-hmm. Greatly. Yes. You know? And so it's like, uh, yeah, but <laughs> such is life. Y'all, I feel like, Like I said, I think one of the most important parts about this discussion is the acknowledgement of nuance and the fact Mm -hmm. that things are complicated and it is okay for things to be complicated. And we live in a world where we not only do we not have the tools to acknowledge nuance, but we just kind of refuse. Well, define nuance for folks. Oh, Mm. okay. That is... I'm going to read the definition of nuance for folks. The definition of nuance is a subtle difference in or shade of meaning, expression, or sound. And I want to add to that that makes a difference. Yes. Because Mm. when we are talking about nuance, we are adding that these nuances, these subtle shades 
right? Mm -hmm. The subtle shade of meaning. We are, we are pointing out that that subtle shade is the difference. Right. Yes. Between something meaning something over here and something meaning something over here. Mm. And they now have two very different meanings because of these subtle shades. Mm. The same way mm. that that's the way colorism works, yes. right? Mm. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. We have gone there today, folks. Subtle this shades. Is. That's going to be the name of my, my line of, of nude colored undergarments. <laughs> subtle shades. <laughs> 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 you should call it nuance now. <laughs> <laughs> the Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It's produced by Chelsea Sanders, Rashad Isaac, and myself, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Chelsea Sanders and Kathleen Newman-Bramay. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Go off, sis.